Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Kings chapter 17, reading from verses 1 to 7. Could you please stand? Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him food, sorry, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord. Our current series is entitled The Prayer Warrior, and we're looking at the life of Elijah, and this is episode two entitled Die Hard. It's going to be uh, going through the 17th chapter of uh, 1 Kings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that uh, we can be part of a congregation like this. It just reminds me once again that it's such a privilege to, uh, to be here, to be able to come back and just be part of something where you're at work and you're doing amazing things. And we see that you've always been that way. You've always done great things. And so we thank you, Lord, for the way that we can find out what you did in the past and how that relates to our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was young, we only had a few things to worry about. Life was simpler. We worried about ring around the collar, split ends, and nuclear war. Well, our current technological revolution has brought with it an epidemic of complicated new threats like cyberbullying, identity theft, and unfriending. In fact, even God has become a victim of identity theft. Here in North America, someone else is using his credentials and masquerading as the supreme being. But he's a fraud. He's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some contemporary theologians, along with politically correct clergymen, have introduced us to this new improved God 2.0 a God who has been upgraded with all of the latest user-friendly features like tolerance and inclusiveness. He simply learned to accept abortion and adultery and pornography and gay marriage as the new normal. Living together, no problem. This new deity still retains some of the popular features of love and mercy 
without the unpleasant, offensive character traits like holiness, wrath, and judgment. Back in the days of Elijah, there was also a lot of confusion about God. And that too created a climate where sins were multiplied. But Elijah wasn't confused. He knew that God had not changed his opinion about sin and righteousness and judgment. And because at that point, judgment was the only hope left, we read that Elijah said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And that judgment put Elijah at the top of the, their majesty's hit list. Because the evil queen had already killed all of the prophets that she could get her hands on. Because she knew they wouldn't cooperate with her new ideas about religion. Well, Elijah survived that purge, but he was still on the endangered species list. So here was a prophet who was going to deal with the situation by calling down judgment, by calling down a drought. And it was devastating. A famine is a terrible thing because both the righteous and the unrighteous suffer during a drought. And if Jezebel's hit squad didn't kill Elijah, maybe the drought would finish him off. But Elijah was a diehard because even in times of disaster, God still provides for his children. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see three examples of the different ways that God's providence is manifested in times of trials and tribulations. Dell read the words there in uh, verses 2 to 6, how uh, Elijah was called to go to a ravine and how the ravens came to feed him. And in this passage, we find out that God sometimes provides temporary relief. And this was truly amazing. I mean, God gave Elijah a stream in the desert during a drought and free delivery by Air Express, which is absolutely a miracle. It's one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible because I've spent quite a bit of time photographing crows and ravens, so I know something about their cuisine. And I've never seen one eat anything that I could stomach. It's mostly roadkill, like shake-and-bake snake or rigor mortis tortoise or the chicken that didn't make it across the road. They're scavengers. Their table manners are disgusting. And they definitely don't share. Every meal is a vicious food fight. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Whatever this was... It was fit for human consumption, just enough to sustain his life. Now, Elijah was an ambassador of heaven, but he didn't get any kind of preferential treatment. He didn't have a safe house or a five-star all-you-can-eat buffet. He just had enough. There are those who maintain that Christians are entitled to the best things in life, that we should get preferential treatment. In fact, did you know that during this economic downturn, there's a Christian discount at Petro-Canada? I think it's 30 cents a liter. How many of you are getting your Christian discount? 
Well, the previous statement was not intended to be factually accurate. There is no Christian discount. There is no preferential treatment. But thank God there are hidden streams that continue to flow even in a time of drought. There's hope and peace and joy. So we can always take refuge in him. And these provisions for Elijah were absolutely reliable. It says every morning and every evening the ravens came in bringing food. But then all of a sudden, verse 7 says, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. What? I can't believe it. What happened to the water? And where are the ravens? All of a sudden it stopped. Has that ever happened to you? What do you do when the stream dries up? Well, maybe you could just wait. Maybe divine providence is rebooting. But sometimes our expectations kind of petrify. You know, we've seen God work in a certain way and we're convinced it's, that's how it's always supposed to be. Well, if Elijah had stayed there, waiting for that stream to flow again, the ravens would have been picking the meat off his ribcage. There would have been nothing left but bleached bones. Do you know why the stream stopped? Simple. Because this was only temporary relief. Streams of blessing dry up because God is up to something new and it's time to move on. That's why I've learned to think of my Christian life in terms of seasons. There have been seasons of plenty and also seasons of not so much. And we have to be willing to adapt. We have to be willing to change, to move on when it's necessary to the next adventure. I'm convinced the number one obstacle to spiritual growth, the number one obstacle, is the good old days. Remember those? Yeah. Paul talked about the good old days in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, when he says, Forgetting what is behind, I press on to what lies ahead. When God's ready to move us on, the stream's going to dry up, and you are forced to move. If you're getting spiritually dehydrated, maybe it's time to move ahead. In verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon, and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This was their last meal. They were totally running out of supplies. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make me a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. 
Here's a second manifestation of God's providence during a difficult season. God provides sufficient grace. Not surplus grace, but sufficient grace. Before Elijah showed up, this widow's life expectancy was best before sunset. But it says she went away and did as Elijah told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word spoken by the Lord to Elijah. And this continued until the end of the famine. Some of God's provisions are temporary, and some are sustainable. There are new mercies, what is it, twice a week? How often? Every morning. God is faithful to forgive us our sins, in season and out of season. We're grateful that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's things we can count on every single day. And I found it's best to experience grace in daily segments. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, give us today our monthly bread. Every day there was enough oil, there was enough flour, not a surplus, but just enough. I think sometimes our problem is we're kind of like that guy in the Gospels in Luke chapter 12 where this rich man had some land and he grew a good crop of food and he said to himself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones and I will put all my grain and other goods together in the new barns. Then I can say to myself, I have enough good things stored up to last for many years. Rest, eat, drink and enjoy life. That's us. We want to have a surplus so we can relax and enjoy our life. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. He built bigger barns. I think this is the guy that founded Costco. <laughs> Let's go big. Let's go bulk. And I think we tend to have a Costco approach to the Christian life. We want to stockpile so much of God's grace that we have enough for any contingency. We feel better when there's a surplus. We want a year's supply of flour. We want a whole barrel of oil. I know I do. This really was something I dealt with as a pastor so often. I was pastoring a church in Edmonton for 21 years. And we never had a surplus. I'm talking about people. You know, I always had a worry when somebody left because we lost good people every year. And it made me feel insecure. Was it something I said? I'd feel so much better if we had so many people, we needed to build a bigger church. It would do wonders for my ego. But God taught me to be grateful for his daily provisions. So I learned every Sunday who were there instead of worrying about the ones who had left. Because every year we lost good people. But we had so many good people left. And then there were the new ones as well. But there was never a surplus. It was just enough. In Calgary, we have a few big bulk Costco churches. you got Center Street, you got Foothills Alliance, etc. And then you have a lot of mid-sized churches like Thornhill. And having experienced both since we've come... 
I'll tell you, I like this so much better because here everyone is important. When you don't have a surplus, everyone counts. And of course, we're not going to make the same kind of headlines that some of the big churches make. But God is at work in this place also, and it's exciting. And it doesn't always have to be huge and big. Everybody knows about the feeding of the 5,000. It was a miracle. This was the miracle of the feeding of the three. Maybe not as spectacular, but still an amazing example of God's sufficient grace. Not surplus grace, sufficient grace. And we don't have to hoard his mercies because they are new every morning. And it's exciting to think ahead because we know every single Sunday when we come to church, God's going to be here. And we're going to experience something very, very special. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. It was a miracle. And speaking of miracles, verse 17 says, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Here's a third way that God provides for us. Sometimes God will provide divine intervention. The woman said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Was this yet another judgment? Well, sometimes a tragedy can be a form of punishment. But often it's just because we live in a fallen world. There's going to be a lot of injustice. There's going to be heartbreaking suffering. Life can be very unfair. But in this case, the tragedy became an opportunity for God's power to be revealed. Elijah said, give me your son. And he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, have you brought this tragedy also upon us, this widow that I'm staying with and causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Now we said Elijah was a prayer warrior. And here we see he's at it again. But this time, he's actually daring to attack the impenetrable stronghold of death. Prayer warriors sometimes make outrageous requests. This may be one of the most extreme in the entire Old Testament. You see, Elijah so far had experienced God's grace in small doses. But that didn't constrict his faith. He also knew that God could do something exceeding abundantly above anything he could think or ask. A resurrection? You're praying for a resurrection? Are you kidding that never, ever, never happens. Did Elijah know that God was going to do this? Perhaps not. He was simply praying the biggest prayer in the Old Testament. That's why James in chapter 5 verse 16, when he's talking about Elijah, says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Sometimes... All we ever look for are the ravens. 
the small doses. Maybe there are times when we need to expect a resurrection. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room in the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Now, what Elijah didn't do was start a resurrection ministry, write a best-selling book, and become a guest on Ellen. This miracle was very private and personal, and it didn't become a trend. Miracles are not meant to go into mass production. By the way, how many of you have ever experienced a miracle? How many of you experience a miracle every single time? Although God will intervene, sometimes he may decide not to. Our niece Amy's second daughter, Hope, was born with half a heart. And there were numerous operations. And because of the internet, there were countless prayers from all over the world for over a year. But Hope died after her first birthday. And at the funeral we sang, he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When the Lord gives to us, we bless his name. When he takes away, we still need to bless his name. And of course, for believers, hope never dies because Jesus has decisively demolished that stronghold of death and made the resurrection available to everyone who believes in him. But in the meantime, we continue to battle on, just as Elijah did, to fight the good fight with the assurance that God will provide for us. Sometimes it's temporary relief. Other times it's small portions of sufficient grace. But let's not be hesitant to pray for divine intervention. In a time of darkness like this, we will keep waiting, and when the streams dry up, we will start moving, and we will keep trusting, and we will keep praying. And let's also be prepared to make our prayers bigger than ever before. What is the biggest prayer that you could pray right now. Father, we thank you that no matter what we pray, no matter how big our prayers, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond that. Blessed be your name. Amen.